This morning, our Lord looks out over a great multitude. And the gospel gives us a window into his heart. Our Lord looks after this great multitude who has followed him into the desert. And he's moved with compassion for them. And in this compassion, he heals the sick. And is very human. It's about time to eat, right? The stomachs are grumbling. The disciples come to him and say, you know, we're in a pretty deserted place here. It's getting late. Tell them to go away. So they can get some food. Our Lord then takes what is available, five loaves and two fish, and he multiplies them and he feeds that great multitude so much so that they had a great abundance of leftovers. God's compassion for the multitude here this morning in this gospel gives us a window into the nature of God. A God with compassion who not only wants to heal, but he also wants to feed. He wants to set the table and put out before us food. He sees those who are sick, those who are alone, those who are confused, and he heals. He sees those who are hungry, and he feeds. And as we stand this morning, having encountered our Lord in this particular gospel, we also stand in the light of the Feast of the Transfiguration as we continue to celebrate the Feast of the, Con- of the Transfiguration, where our Lord went up on Mount Tabor and showed his light to Peter, James, and John of his divinity, of who he was. And standing on his right and left was Moses and Elijah showing us the continuity between God's covenant, God's giving of the law, God's infusing the spirit into the prophets of Israel, and in the coming of the Messiah, our Lord God and Savior Jesus Christ. As we think of this miracle of Christ's feeding, and we think of the Feast of Transfiguration, I'm reminded of the great feasting that our God worked through his servants, Moses and Elijah. Because this has always been God's nature. Moving of great compassion and one who wants to feed us. With Moses, we have God who hears the cries of his people in Egypt, in their bondage, in their slavery. And he is moved with compassion to bring up Moses and Aaron to lead them out of captivity. To show them his right arm, the strength of what he can do. And he frees them. He brings them through the Red Sea. He destroys their enemies. But now they're in the desert. They're in the deserted place. And I was struck as I was reviewing God's feeding of his people as they sojourn to the promised land. There's the song of Miriam. 
And then right after the Song of Miriam, which is rejoicing in the deliverance that God has given, three days into the journey into the wilderness, what begins to happen? Grumbling. They are, yes, a certain kind of drowsiness. We'll hit that a little bit later. They want water. They come to a place. There's bitter water. The people are complaining. We want water. So Moses throws the wood into the bitter water, turning it sweet, which we will commemorate here in a few weeks with the exaltation of the cross, how God takes bitter water and turns it to sweetness. A month and a half in, you would think, we've been freed. He did all of these miracles. He's brought us to the Red Sea. He's destroyed our enemies. He's given us water to drink. Now the tummies begin to rumble again. This is where you get the flesh meats, the flesh pots, right? We had it so good. We had cucumbers. We had all sorts of stuff back there in Egypt in our captivity. Moses gets annoyed. Moses goes to God and God provides for them manna. Food from heaven. Because God's compassion does not just free, but he also sustains for the journey. Giving them food for this sojourn through the desert. Food that later, of course, they start grumbling again. You can see a pattern emerging here, right? Oh, manna. It tastes like honey. (laughs) It's not like it's gruel. It's not Oliver Twist here where we have, please, sir, going to have a little bit more of the gruel. God is giving them honey tasted uh, wafers, these beautiful things that they can create that comes. They don't have to do anything besides go get it. (laughs) All the teenagers like, yes, this is exactly what I want. This is like endless supplies of cereal that I can go get whenever I want. But when God provides this food, there's no, this isn't just do whatever you want. Descend into the decadence. Eat all of the honey flavored manna. No, he says, get enough for one day. And when the Sabbath comes on that Friday, get enough for two days. If you get more than that, it's the worms are going to come and it's going to go bad. Elijah, it's a very moving account of God's provision. Elijah is hungry and he is told by God to go to Zarephath and to dwell there and there will be a widow who will provide for you. So Elijah goes to the town in his hunger. He comes to the gate of the city and he finds a widow gathering sticks. So he calls to her, bring me a cup of water. As she goes to get this cup of water, he asks her for a little bit more than just water. Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And the widow replies to Elijah, as the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread, only a handful of flour and a little bit of oil. And see, I'm gathering these sticks that you see so that I can prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat this 
and die. You can imagine Elijah in his head as he encounters this godly widow telling him, I'm preparing the last meal for myself and my son because we have nothing but a little bit of flour and oil. Does Elijah say, never mind. No, Elijah says, do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but make me a small cake from it first and bring it to me and afterward make some for yourself and for your son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, the bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the day of the Lord sends rain on the earth. So what does the widow do? She goes and makes for Elijah first. Not attending to herself and to her son and her last meal together. But according to the word of the Lord that she heard from Elijah. And in doing this, responding to this word from God. Rejecting the fear She and her household ate for many days because the bin was not used up and the jar of oil did not run dry according to the word of the Lord. God not only has compassion, but he feeds us. His compassion extends to us to not only free us, but to continue to minister to us, to feed us along life's journey. The gospel this morning, we see parallels for all of these accounts. Christ is with this multitude. They followed him into a deserted place. The children of Israel followed Moses at God's command into a deserted place. Elijah encounters the widow at a desperate point of desolation. A handful of flour and a little bit of oil. What was left to make their last meal? And God shows his compassion and he feeds. This is the compassion of God, the abundance given to those who are in sojourn, those who are at their last bit, those who have left Egypt, those who have heard the prophetic word and have obeyed. To be fed by God, we see through all of this account, these three different accounts of our Lord, Moses, and Elijah, that there was a recognition of being in the desert. The recognition of being in journey. The recognition of being in a place of need. And this is the first step for all of us. To recognize our true condition. That we are in desperate need of being fed. And God provides for us as he provided for the children of Israel in the desert. The scriptures tell us he made a statute and an ordinance for them. And there he tested them with the manna and said, If you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I have brought on the Egyptians. For I am the Lord who heals you. Further, he tells them, 
through Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain quota every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. We see here God feeds, God provides, but God feeds and God provides when our faithfulness shows up. The multitude is fed by Christ because they are following him. They've gone out into a deserted place. They've forgotten their bellies. They are looking to his word. The children of Israel, even in their complaining, have at least obeyed and come out of Egypt and followed after Moses. And God provides the food, but he provides it and gives it in a particular way. Manna has to be the amount that you need. And for the widow, it was an obedience in the face of desolation. We have come to Mount Tabor, the feast of the metamorphosis of our Lord. The transformation, the transfiguration of our Lord before us. Christ sees us gathered here together in faith, in the wilderness seeking the heavenly city. As we sojourn through this life, he has great and incredible and unending compassion for us. And he desires, above all, to feed us with his heavenly manna. But we're also like the apostles, who Luke tells us in his gospel, were asleep when our Lord was speaking with Moses and Elijah. That we must awake from our spiritual sleeping, our torpor, that we so regularly fall into, just like the apostles. And we must believe that in the desert, wherever that desert is in our heart, that God will provide. Now, of course, I'm not just speaking in a metaphorical manner about being fed with heavenly manna. Our Lord provides us with his own body and blood. Manna that tastes better than honey. And an unending supply of this heavenly bread and this heavenly drink. But this is something that we must, as God tests us, as God calls us to him, that we must approach with faith and the fear of God. God provides for us heavenly manna that is something that we must prepare for. Holy communion is not something that we do half asleep in reception or that we go towards it with our mouths talking, our minds scattered all over the place. But the church has for us an entire program of preparation for Holy Communion to be fed with the heavenly manna. Primarily, this is through the preparation of Holy Confession, a sacrament of the church where we come before Christ with a priest as a witness and we confess the things that have overcome us, that we struggle with, that we in all honesty ask for forgiveness and look to repentance. So a rule of thumb with confession. So first, here's a really good rule of thumb. 
If you can't remember the last time you went to confession, you need to go to confession. That's a pretty good baseline thing, right? When you are struggling in prayer and fasting and giving alms, especially during a fasting season, it is a time, especially as I have been encouraging on a quarterly basis to give confession before Christ. You probably need it every other day. But to have a rhythm, if you're afraid of it, it's just like when you're a kid and you needed to ride a bike, right? The first few times, it's terrifying. But you're going to have dad right beside you helping you with the bike. I haven't heard absolutely everything yet, but I've heard just about everything. And I'm not scandalized. I'm not going to judge you because I see it within my own heart. Or I myself struggle with it. Or it is something that I moved, if God so gives the Spirit, with compassion for those who are struggling and name those things before God. This does not mean that it has to be a one-to-one, that you go to confession, therefore you've earned the right to Holy Communion. But the Holy Synod has for us, and the instructions for us, they say if you're regularly going to Communion, they say monthly that you're going to confession. I, for your sake, am going to lower the bar a little bit and say quarterly is a good rhythm to be in matching the great fasts of the church. This is so that we receive Holy Communion, the heavenly bread, the manna given for us, in a way that we are awake, that we have not just given ourselves over to pining after Egypt, or worse, that we've gone back into Egypt itself and submitted ourselves to that slavery. Besides confession, coming to the services of the church, Vespers is one of the services, especially on Saturday night, that is given for us to prepare for the next day as the theme is that Sunday. There's also prayers of preparation. And if you would like some guidance on that, then come and talk to me and we can figure out a program. By program, that sounds much more uh, official than I mean. (laughs) It's just a way for you to come and be prepared. This is especially the hours that we do before the Divine Liturgy. This is there for you to prepare yourself, to settle your mind and your heart. Christ takes whatever we offer and he blesses it. Christ took the loaves and the fish. Christ took what the widow had the little bit of flour, the little bit of oil, and he produces abundance. Our coming to him in faith, giving our confession, struggling throughout the week, acting in faith, struggling with our passion, seeking him in others, seeking him in prayer, sacrificing for him and for others. This is the act of faith that we then receive back to us the abundance of the heavenly food. If we desire to see the light of Christ, to be fed with manna from heaven, 
we must exert ourselves after him. We must rouse ourselves from sleep. We must go and pick up the manna. We must, in faith, sacrifice that little flour, that little oil in the face of what seems like something that we are just giving ourselves over to death so that we receive back everything. So that we can receive the manna, the heavenly bread that transforms us as our Lord stood transformed on Mount Tabor. As he feeds us with the heavenly food which shall never end as we move, especially after this life, to the heavenly banquet. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.